This is Tax Chats. Hello, I'm Scott Dyring. And I am Jeff Hoops. And we're here to chat about taxes. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of Tax Chats. I'm Scott Dyring, professor of accounting at Duke University, and I am joined, as always, by the Tax Museum curator and professor of accounting extraordinaire and the research director at the University of North Carolina Tax Center, Jeffrey L. Hoops. Hello, Jeffrey. Hello. (laughs) How are you doing over there today? So fine. Are you in the tax museum or are you in the tax center today? I'm always in the tax museum, okay. not in the tax center. Does the tax center have a physical location? Everything has large physical locations. Okay, very good. Uh, well, <laughs> what are we doing on tax chats today? So we have, we're very excited for our guest today, Jay Zagorski. Jay, do you want to introduce yourself? My name's Jay Zagorski, and I'm a clinical associate professor at Boston University's Questrom School of Business. Okay, so we have Jay here because today is not the tax filing deadline day, but tomorrow is. And so we want to talk about some like specifics of filing your taxes. So Scott and I both teach a class called Taxes and Business Strategy. I sometimes get students who like complain that we don't talk enough about like in the weeds kind of things. Like they want to know exactly how to pay less in taxes and ours are like kind of higher level kind of things. Well, today we're talking about pretty low-level tax things, meaning like when you have to pay your taxes, how you actually have to remit your taxes, and some pretty interesting things like that from uh, talking with Jay. The reason we're talking with Jay is he recently authored an article called, I Tried to Pay My Taxes in Cash. Here's what happened. So let's uh, start out there. Tell us about when you tried to pay your taxes in cash and what happened. Thank you very much, Jeff. And let me preface my remarks by saying I am not a tax professor. We don't we don't hold that against you. Just to be clear, we don't hold that up against you. We 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 allow all. As a business school professor, I I do give some lectures in tax, but I really spend a lot of time thinking about how people pay for things. I'm much more on the payment side. So the question is: Do you pull out, say, a debit card? Do you pull out a credit card? Do you write a maybe old-fashioned check or something like that. So I study a lot about how people pay for things. And it's pretty obvious to all of us, we're moving to a cashless society, right? And uh, my research has led to a very strong conclusion so far that a cashless society, a pure cashless society, has a lot of disadvantages and that we actually need to use both cash and electronic means. And what I advocate for is a mixed-use society. So just don't walk around with your phone doing mobile payments. Instead, have some cash in your pocket and occasionally whip out your phone or your credit card or your debit card. I mean, when would you say that we would need to – when would like it be a good situation for cash but not a phone? What's the downside to only using electronic besides that it like – Makes buying drugs harder. Or if the power goes out, you might be hosed. Scott, you know, let's talk just about natural disasters for 30 seconds. When the power goes out, there's nothing you can do, right? Electronic payments depend on electricity. I mean, to be clear, I understand, I believe this. We literally have a typewriter in the tax museum. And the last time the power went out here at the uh, Keenan Flagler Business School, I got my typewriter out and started typing. You did but not. This is pretty, I literally did. You can ask the people around me. I pulled it out and started typing away. But that's pretty rare, actually. We should like predicate our whole payment system just on like the occasional power outage. 
Yes. No. No. And once again, I, I'm <laughs> advocating. Says, he says no. <laughs> I'm advocating for a mixed-use society that we should do both. Okay. But let's get back to the real topic here, which is probably what your uh, listeners are much more interested in. Is the question is, can you pay your taxes in cash? Now, if you happen to pull out a piece of paper, a piece of currency, uh, paper money, you're going to see on the front of it a statement. Uh, since I see both of you pulling out your wallets right now. I got I got a dollar bill right in front of me right bill. now. And there should be a little legal tender statement on it. Can one of you read off that legal tender statement? This note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. And as a quick guess, what do you think the, an individual's biggest public debt is? Um <laughs> Jeff's over at his cash register. I don't know what he's doing. In the taxis, in there's a cash. Oh, he went and got a dollar bill out of the cash register. Okay. Okay. So I sorry, I have a dollar bill from 1935, and it says this certificate is legal tender for all debts, public and private. So this has been around for quite a while, actually. This whole all debts, public and private. 1935 silver certificate, not a currency reserve. Note. I think it's a Federal Reserve note is the te- technical term these days. Okay. It's a silver certificate from yeah. the tax museums. That, that statement's been on currency since the end of the 1800s. Wow. Yeah, long time. Okay. Long time. Long time. So Okay, uh, so my guess is the public debt, uh, an individual's public, I guess I don't even know what it means to be a public debt. But uh, yeah, What's a public debt? Well, what do, you, what do you owe the government? What's your the biggest debt okay, well, that you owe the government? Yeah, the only, the only debt I owe the government is my taxes, I think. Right. So the question is, can you pay... With currency, where it says right on the front of it, can you pay your taxes, your income taxes, with currency? And I wondered if it was possible. And when I'd lecture about money money and monetary policy, I would actually say to my students that this is kind of ironic, that here it is on the face of every single bill you've ever used, that it's legal tender for all debts public, and that I have no idea. I don't even think it's possible to pay the IRS. I mean, I guess if I, why, why can't you just put it in an envelope with your tax return and send it off to Ogden or the, the address at the IRS website? And what's the downside of that? Why wouldn't that work? Well, because the IRS is a little concerned that some IRS employee might happen to open that, that envelope and say there was nothing else in the envelope besides uh, there was no cash or anything. So you want some record of it. Okay. And they, they strongly discourage you from putting cash in the mail. Right. And uh, anyways, I was giving a lecture and some students said, no, 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 actually found on the website, the IRS website, buried really deep that you can pay in cash. I was like, no, really? Uh, so uh, for the last couple of years, I actually were getting refunds. So it was not uh, possible. But this year, I actually owed some money to the IRS, a little over $1,000. And I was like, oh, let me actually try this out. See if what the students showed me on the website actually worked. So I tried to pay in cash, and it's not as ridiculous as you think, but it is very time-consuming and a multi-step process. Okay, so so you better. It's clearly not as easy as just dropping it in the mail, like Jeff suggested. By the way, I thought even the U.S. Postal Service said don't drop it in the mail. Like they don't like sending but, cash, right? But if you did that, there's some chance it would work. It's just a question. It's not certain that you're going to get credit for I it. I think Somebody you should try paying it. your taxes tomorrow on tax day with cash and see if it works, Jeff. 
believe in paying taxes. I'm a war tax resistor ever since we did that episode, Scott. <laughs> okay, so tell us the story. It wasn't as easy as putting it in the mail. We need to know how it went. So step number one, you have to call up and make an appointment with your local IRS tax center. Uh, so I picked up the phone and I called. It's you know free toll-free number. And I actually talked to somebody in the IRS uh, my first time, uh, a middle-aged guy and I had never actually talked to anybody in the IRS before. It's always, you know, communication via letter or things like that. Uh, so this was this year in April, uh, or last year, in, or this year in March, this, sometime this recently. Is, this year, and I started in March doing all. Okay, so I, I guess I I would note last year, or especially the year before, you would have had like a quite a hard time getting anybody on the line. In person, the IRS, yeah, the IRS phone call systems way better this year than previous. So like it. This year was actually a good year to do this if you need to talk to somebody on the phone. Uh, let me tell you that they answered. I, I can't tell you exactly how many rings, but I think, you know, third or fourth ring, somebody came on. It was live. Or was this a special, like, cash payment line? No. Maybe that one's always been unbusy. Uh, no, not a special. This is just your this, general call. This is a general call. This lady was able <laughs> to handle all kind of problems, uh, but she made it, a, her specialty was making appointments for people who wanted to come in person to IRS tax centers. Uh, and she was very friendly, very knowledgeable. Um, I was, I was, I'll say it, I was blown away by how helpful she was. And she was upfront, paying in cash was going to be relatively onerous, and that there were if I had cash, there were a number of different ways the IRS could accept cash payments without my physically going down to a federal building here in Boston uh, and seeing an IRS agent. So what would those be? So she offered a couple of different ways. Uh, the first way she suggested is I could take my cash and try and put it on a, on a debit card. And once I put that on the debit card, I could then use online payment systems and somehow give the IRS money that way. Okay. So that seems simple. So what's the downside to that? He wanted to pay in cash. That's the downside. He in principle <laughs> wanted to pay in cash. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I tried to pay in cash that way, but that really wasn't. So um, the method the IRS suggests uh, is to buy this prepaid card and pay online. Sounds easy, but it turns out to be quite costly. So let me talk to you about Walmart, which is one of the biggest U.S. retailers, uh, and they offer a reloadable basic debit card. Uh, the card costs $1 to buy, $6 each month in fees, and $3 every time you want to load cash on it at a Walmart register, and it costs more, about $6 if you want to load cash on it someplace else. Okay, And then once the money is loaded, um, the IRS ask you to use a private organization and they charge for debit cards around $2.50 each payment and the payments are limited to two per year. Okay. <laughs> so uh, if you ever go to the IRS website, um, but go ahead. You're just paying once. That's six plus three plus one plus 250. It's not free, but it's like 10, 11, 12 bucks. I know, but suppose your tax bill was like 200 bucks. It's like 20% of your tax bill or something ridiculous. Okay. So it's a fix a fixed cost. That's not zero, but it's not like a thousand. All right. So for the some rich, percentage, it doesn't for, scale with the. If you're a rich curator of a tax museum and you have to pay like a hundred thousand in taxes, it's fine. But if you're like a poor professor, it's not so great. <laughs> and a lot of people who use cash, uh, Jeff and Scott, tend to be people who are lower income. So for people who are lower income, um, that's a relatively large percentage for many of their tax bills. 
Okay. So can I, I just, I want to make a little insertion here. Sure. I deal in cash more than the average person. I once bought a car in cash. Okay. Actual currency. Was that the uh, Toyota Yaris that you is so small that you have to stick your arm out the back window instead of the front window? I rode my bike to the bank, withdrew the cash in $100 bills, and rode it to purchase it. It's amazing. Thank you for that side track. Just to throw Jeff. that out there. All right. All right, Jay, back to you. Back to me. So, um, as professors, we talk about taxes, and the IRS has something called the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights. Um, basically are our fundamental rights with the IRS. And number three on the Bill of Rights is the right to pay no more than the correct amount of tax. And I'm going to read right now off the IRS website. Taxpayers have the right to pay only the amount of tax legally due, including interest and penalties, and have the IRS apply all tax payments properly. Um, so, Jeff, you said, well, it's only about $13 or so in fixed. As a, as a matter of a principle, I say zero. You should be willing to pay zero more. I'm with you. Okay. All right. So, you know, the correct amount of taxes, if I owe, say, $500, I should pay $500, not 513 That's one way. The second way is that the IRS has partnered with national chains, uh, CVS, Walgreens, 7-Eleven, Family Dollar Store, and some large truck stops to accept cash on its behalf. Um and they send you to a private vendor and the private vendors websites were even more confusing to fill in the forms than i thought the actually filling in the irs tax forms were right so it's um it takes you need to have a fair amount and understand what's going on to be able to navigate these kind of things but more importantly if you go to one of these national chains like cvs or walgreens there's service fees but there's also a one thousand dollar maximum amount accepted per year so if you want to pay in cash, the IRS is basically saying if you owe more than $1,000. Uh, so that made it impractical for me. I owed slightly more than $1,000, so I couldn't go to CVS and then hand them $1,000 worth of cash. Um, and if you look at IRS statistics for last year, about two-thirds of the people either owed nothing or got a refund, but about a third of the people, I'm rounding here, owed money to the IRS. And the average amount, $6,000. And if you break it down and look at um, statistics of income, the SOI, which is the IRS statistics, uh, the SOI breaks things down, the statistics of income, breaks things down by adjusted gross income. And if you look at adjusted gross income, for people who owe money to the IRS, once adjusted gross income is over $15,000, people owe more than $1,000. So basically, you're only saying that the only people who could use these other methods for the IRS for cash payments are people who are earning and have adjusted gross income on average of under $15,000. So while the IRS offers the ability to do things at CVS uh, or load a debit card or things like that, it's just not going to work. Now, the IRS also oh, offers... Okay, so hang on. So it's not going to work to buy a debit card. It's kind of expensive. And in principle, we don't like giving or incurring more costs than absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. You can't really go to CVS or whatever because they have like these caps and they charge a fee. Mm -hmm. So now you're down to showing up to the IRS. Is that like the last option? Uh, well, the IRS also offered the ability to use a credit card, uh, which if you want, uh, but they want two and not they, not the IRS, but the IRS's companies, they want two and a half percent of whatever you use for the credit card. 
which if you owe a fair amount of money, say $6,000, it starts adding up. So um, the lady was very nice. She, she showed me all these different methods. She encouraged me to use the online system, um, tried her very best. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm a business school professor. I really want to go through with all this. I want to see what it's like. Uh, and she made me an appointment for a few days later uh, that following week. And I went down the following week and to get into a federal building um, there right now is relatively tight security to get into a federal building. Uh, when I walked in the door, there were four armed guards. Uh, I had to take off my belt, my watch, my hat, my coat, all these kind of things. The lady behind me had to take her shoes off. Um, I used to, when I, when I worked with IRS data, I had to go to the one in Columbus, the IRS building in Columbus. That's a pain, especially when you're bringing lunch. They don't like lunches. <laughs> they scrutinize your lunch. Because you have like it. Do they taste know. test it to make sure it's a high quality food? Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me be honest here. I was not trying to be a pain to the IRS in any way, shape, or form. I'm sure you can quickly scan the internet. There are people who try and pay with wheelbarrows full of cash, uh, coins. Uh, there are people who try and do all kind of, you know, things to make the tax authority angry at them. I went to the bank ahead of time. I got crisp $100 bills, just like you bought your car with, or I had exact change. I had a very thin envelope, you know, to make things as quickly, uh, as quick as possible. Um, I then got up to the IRS here in Boston, downtown. It's on the seventh floor. I got up to the seventh floor. I was on time for my appointment. Um, I talked to the receptionist, and the receptionist uh, asked me to sit down in the waiting area, which for those people who are listening, it reminded me of the Department of Motor Vehicles. You know, there's a lot of chairs and a little, you know, now serving number X, you know, 123. Please go to this, you know, carousel or this this office. Uh, and... Uh, I was actually sitting in front of a little sign that says, do not use your cell phone here, right? No cell phone. Uh, and well, what do you do in a waiting room if you can't use your cell phone? I mean, we've all forgotten what to do in today's world. Just violate the rule. Use it anyways. A anyways, that's an important message. Uh, the receptionist told me to sit down in the waiting area. As I walked away, I sort of glanced back and the receptionist face palmed and shook his head, which did not <laughs> give me a lot of confidence that I was going to be able to pay tax, uh, my taxes in cash. About 15 minutes into the waiting, my phone rang, uh, vibrated. Uh, I had it on silent mode, uh, but I could feel it in my pocket. But I was sitting in front of a large sign that said, don't use your cell phone. Uh, that turned out to be the IRS calling me after a 15-minute wait. Um, about 15 more minutes, somebody came out of the back room, talked to the receptionist. The receptionist pointed over to me. Uh, they both motioned me over and they said, we're terribly sorry. We tried calling you to tell you you couldn't pay in cash today. And I said, why not? And I said, it's not safe for us to have cash in the IRS office. And let me say, I found that a little ironic given how many armed guards were seven floors below me and how difficult it was to get into this building, uh, that it was not safe for them to have cash. But that's okay. Uh, and they said, well, we tried to call you. And I was I, I didn't want to go into the point that <laughs> I was sitting in front of a large sign saying, I'm not supposed to use my phone. Um, and I said, okay, well, when is it safe? And she said, we have to bring in a courier to take your money to the bank. Uh, okay. And she said, we have a courier coming in <laughs> next week because there's another person who wants to pay in cash. And I asked, how many people pay in cash? And she looked at me and said, not many. <laughs> but there was one other person on this uh, quest, let's say. 
so they were coming in around 10.30 on Tuesday. Uh, and we agreed that I make an appointment for about an hour and a half later. So that way the courier could handle our money at the same time. Uh, I showed up a week later, went through the same security screening. Um, once again, I got lucky. I didn't have to take my shoes off, but I did have to take coat, belt, all these kind of things off. Uh, I made it upstairs and the receptionist immediately recognized me. Uh, <laughs> didn't ask my name or anything like that. Uh, was like, yeah, okay, we'll get you pretty quickly, sir. And uh, this time the wait was, I would say about two minutes, three minutes, where another IRS agent came out and said, could you please go down to my cubicle, which was way down the end of the corridor. Uh, and then that took, and I, I timed it, it took about 30 minutes for them to process. So I had to find, uh, he asked for my ID, asked for my social security number, which I gave him, and he, he searched on the uh, computer. He found what I had done. Uh, and then he had to bring over somebody else to figure out exactly how to code it up. And the goal was to basically do a handwritten form. And this is a multi-part, I won't use the word carbon form because there was no actual carbon paper, but it was one of these multi-part forms that say bear down hard, uh, so that, you know, it goes through all the different layers. And one of the pieces of paper was for me and it looked like three other pieces went to the IRS. Uh, and I know we're on a podcast, so we're not on any particular amount of time, but there was a small problem that my wife's name has been for years, the first one on the tax form. And my name is second. And oh, that's interesting. Paper, that's fine. That, uh, and the paper form that he was trying to fill in didn't have enough space for both of our names and both our social security numbers. Uh, so we made an agreement that. I was actually not paying cash that my wife was paying cash okay. uh, for the taxes. And that was able to satisfy the IRS requirements. Um, he counted the cash. He had to get somebody to verify that what we had done was true. He sealed the envelope, stuck my envelope with, I saw a second thin envelope there uh, and they sealed up the bag. Uh, and I asked uh, him a very simple question. I asked, is the courier armed? And, and the reason I asked this was because that would give me an indication of how many people used, uh, try to pay cash. And he said, I've been doing this for two years and I have never met the courier. I've never seen the courier, which suggests that there's very few people who actually show up at an IRS office uh, and try and pay in cash since, you know, his goal was to hand a plastic bag to the courier or at least hand it to the receptionist who would do the courier. But he had no idea if the courier was armed or not armed. Huh. Uh, and then after, you know, that 30 minutes was up, I have a little handwritten receipt, uh, from the IRS. Now that's sort of my long tail, but what's interesting is if you look at the code of federal regulations, the CFR, which basically controls the low level details of what the IRS does. Okay. Uh, the CFR, uh, allows authorized banks to accept tax payments. And the law doesn't specify exactly what type of payments. It doesn't say check. It doesn't say cash. It says basically, you know, the Secretary of the Treasury is authorized to allow national banks, credit unions, and others to accept payments. I started at a bank. I made sure I got money from the bank. I brought it to the IRS. The IRS refused my money because they didn't have a courier to take the money to the bank. And then they brought uh, a courier in 
we could have just short-circuited this whole thing. Uh, Done it at the bank. Right. I could have gone to the bank. I could have handed them. Right now, we have things called 1040 Vs, which are your payment voucher. I could have handed them a wad of cash. I could have handed them something like a 1040 V, which says my social security number and how much I'm giving them. And they could have just sent a message to the IRS saying, you know, Professor Jay Zagorski showed up and paid us this amount of cash. And here's his social security number. Here's the date he paid us. Done. Yeah. But to create that infrastructure has some cost. And if there's like one person every century that wants to do this, it's probably just not worth the cost to create that infrastructure. Um, if you truly believe in a cashless society. However, Jeff, uh, maybe we'll agree to disagree here, but I think that keeping cash around has some extreme benefits. And let me give you the simplest example. Sweden is one of the most cashless societies in the world. And the Swedish government in the last couple of years has been acting, enacting laws trying to ensure that cash is actually brought back. Why is that? What, what do they see in it? Just the power going out story or is there something more to it? I can't tell you. I'm not Swedish. I'm not part of the government. But I can tell you that the Swedish government is very much concerned about national defense issues. They send every couple of years to all Swedish households booklets uh, because they're concerned about people to their east maybe rolling in with tanks. I don't want to be political here. I'm, I'm an economist. I'm not a politician. But if you're concerned about Russia um, and you're concerned in seeing things like what's been happening in Ukraine, where the Russians have bombed the electrical grid, bombed the communications, electrical, electronic payments don't work in that situation. So the Swedish government has been sending out little brochures and those brochures say what to do in the event of you know natural disasters, national emergencies, these kind of things. And talks about you know, basic things, having some food, having water around and also having cash. Because cash works when computers are hacked. Cash yeah. works. But, but that, in that event, you'd just issue a little treasury regulation that says tax stays not for another month. We're just going to postpone. So like to me, the the notion that like we should make this one particular transaction be able to do it easy in tax is a very different question than in general we should allow for tax or cash to be used. I guess I don't understand why you think those need to be the same thing. Oh, I'm not pushing that just the IRS should be able to accept cash. I'm suggesting that all government, parts of the government, should be able to accept cash like they used to. And this is just one small hey, part. Hey, Jeff, is the reason you have the Bitcoin you have because you're worried the power will go out? My, I have one. I don't have any real Bitcoin. I thought that you have a Bitcoin. Oh, I have one physical, actual coin that says that looks like a Bitcoin, but it's not. A <laughs> I'm Bitcoin. I'm mocking you, Jeff. That's what I'm doing. I do have cash in case the power goes out. I'm, okay. To be clear, I okay. believe in, I okay. believe in cash more than most people. Okay. I literally just emailed Scott my picture of the eight thousand dollars of uh, cash just sitting on the table there. I can look at it and verify my story. What? what? But um. <laughs> Why do you I have eight thousand dollars of cash? Payment is like it's a large thing. It's to this organizing. The vast majority of people who, I mean, like half of people don't have any, more than half of people don't have any payment at all. I guess I don't see a lot of, yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's just go back, and, and I don't want to uh, go too deep into national defense issues, but, you know, if it's a one-time problem, nothing, you don't have to worry about it. But let's assume that we were all professors in Ukraine right now, 
this is you know continuous bombardment continuous problems uh, and if you need to fund a war effort you need to have a backup system I'm, I'm not saying everybody should try this but I'm saying if we make it easy we make it simple governments during all problems so to have that backup system, I mean, let's say, so you're saying because Ukraine has had this problem for over a year, that would assume that you have just like stored away in currency the amount of your tax liability for the year to be able to pay it? That seems a little far-fetched. You'd have to get that. I mean, when you said like in, in Sweden, and I, I completely believe this for, you know, for some emergency, you need to have some emergency cash, mm-hmm. but it's not going to be that much. It's not going to be enough to pay your taxes for an entire year. That's, You'd have to get that out of the financial system just to put it back in. Right. But if we go through the Code of Federal Code of Federal Regulations and allow banks to accept tax payments, it's not just individual tax payments on April 15th or this year it's April 18th. Quarterly estimated payments. It could be quarterly estimated payments by businesses. It could be, you know, uh, you know all kinds of payments from organizations such as our universities on our behalf. That's very interesting. Um, So now that you've paid in cash, will you ever do it again? No. (laughs) Unless the power goes out or there's a war. Or there's a war. Actually, if there's a war, it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. Um, It's, I found the whole thing, the article, I read your article and I just found it fascinating because usually you hear people doing this as a way to sort of like stick it to the government. Oh, here's my 5 million pennies for this dumb little thing that I've done. And what I liked about yours was it's like, well, look, the treasury prints this stuff. Like, I'm just going to go give it back to the treasury. And it's like, will they even take it? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But it's hard. It's pretty amazing. And, and we can go through the same thing, for example, with the U.S. Department of State. If you want to pay cash for, say, a passport, they make it very difficult. There's only a few places. It's hard enough to, to get a passport without the cash <laughs> issue. Right. Exactly. Right. No, no, I completely agree. It's hard enough. But the U.S. Department of State doesn't issue our currency. The Treasury issues our currency, and the IRS is part of the Treasury. Treasury so, won't take it back. Right. So the organization <laughs> within the government that is responsible for basically, we'll call it earning seniorage. Uh, and for those listeners who don't know what seniorage is, the government makes an incredible amount of money, an incredible profit margin. If you're in a business that the greatest profit margin is basically the U.S. government printing money or any other government printing money. It costs almost nothing to print. It costs almost nothing to create electronically, right? But it has real value. Uh, so these, this organization, the U.S. Treasury, creates you know huge amounts of seniorage. Uh, yet it's very difficult for the same organization or a branch of the same organization, the IRS, to actually accept the money that another branch of the Treasury is creating. Yeah. Well, this this has been fascinating, Jay. Thank you so much for coming and and telling us the story. And for all of you who are getting ready to pay your taxes at the very last minute today. Probably too late to do cash, actually. No. Yeah, you could be doing it today or you could be doing it tomorrow, but this thing's probably not going to air until tomorrow. So it's today. Don't use cash. Right. It's not going to work. does air, you're going to have to make an appointment. And when I called... The person who made the appointments uh, actually told me I was quite lucky that there was some open appointments in Boston and that many of the appointments back in March were already booked up till May, that for many of the offices. So you better file that extension and get the appointment for September or something (laughs) like that. No, that doesn't work, Scott, because if you file an extension, you have to pay 
everything you know, or sorry, everything yeah. you think yeah, yeah. you need up front. You think you need, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, but if you don't, I guess there would just be, well, I thought I had paid enough with my withholding, but and then you might end up some some late payment or some underpayment penalty or something like that. Well, uh, thank you so much, Jay, for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. And um, this has been another edition of Tax Chats. I'm Scott Dyering, professor of accounting at Duke University. And Jeff Hoops, my colleague at the University of North Carolina, has, as always, been our co-host. Our guest today has been Jay Zagorski at the Questrom School of Business at Boston University. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll chat with you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.